Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona filling in for Khalil Ecolona. If you've been following the talk about how Nashville's East Bank could be transformed in the next few years, you probably heard a lot about the football stadium and affordable housing. But what about bicycles? If the city is going to create an entirely new section of street grid, where do bikes fit in? As more of us turn to bicycles to save money or reduce our impact on the environment, is the city, in turn, really making room for bikes? That's coming up later this hour. But first, we talked about Southern politeness on yesterday's show and how, at times, Nashville nice is anything but. And this extends to local politics, too. Sometimes the appearance of civility in local government can mask underlying race and class divisions. But in an increasingly diverse and changing city, there are limitations to playing by an old set of rules created by mostly white men. WPLN's Metro reporter Ambrose Crutchfield recently sat down with Nashville's Vice Mayor Jim Shulman to talk about his tenure and a viral moment that exposed a crack in his mild-mannered approach. And she joins us now. Ambrose, thanks for being here. Hey, Nina. So explain for our listeners, what exactly does the vice mayor do? Yes. So if you have not watched a Metro Council meeting, he is like out of view for you. But the mayor, the vice mayor is the second highest position in Metro government. Um, he's normally kind of like the referee, like keeping the, ma- the meeting going for Metro Council and also like playing referee between the mayor and the uh, council. And if, you know, say, for example, with Megan Barry, when she had to leave office, the vice mayor can step up and take her job. And this is an elected position, which is pretty unique. So right now, the vice mayor is Jim Shulman, and he has been in state and local government for decades. Can you give us a sense of what he's like? Yeah, I mean, he's a really funny guy. He's like very personable, makes you feel warm, like the very uh, standard like Southern kind of gentleman vibe. Uh, He's from Johnson City, Tennessee, and was raised during the civil rights era. His um, so his his family is like kind of like the birdie bunch. And within that, with like his five sisters and brothers, he's the one that joked around a lot and like maybe studied too much for junior high school. Uh, (laughs) He moved to Nashville to go to Vanderbilt and thought he'd go home and run the family business. But things switched up and he ended up becoming a lawyer and doing all the things you just mentioned. (laughs) In your story, you bring up this blow up that he had at a council meeting Mm -hmm. in 2020. It's over the mayor's budget and residents are voicing their frustrations. For the listeners who may not remember, take us back to that moment. What what happened? Right. So this meeting went really into the wee hours of the night. And his job is to keep the meeting going and make sure like everything's flowing as usual. So they took it to a 15 minute recess. He says the phones were clogged with people trying to say something about the property tax increase. But maybe they were being overshined by people that were calling in wanting the budget to go more towards affordable housing and social services versus the police. Um, So he attempted to move on like he'd seen state lawmakers do, but the council didn't back him up in his vote. So eventually he goes out to this hallway. And if you watch the YouTube video, there are like two lines that are socially distant of residents waiting to go inside and speak for two minutes. Um, And he went out, he's wagging his finger at them. And he's it's not like he's giving them a tip of how to like do this better, be more effective in doing politics. It's he it's him in a patronizing tone telling them this is bad policy and politics and that they're killing their ideas. And just a reminder, these are people that don't really engage with Metro government per se. Yeah. How do people respond? Yeah, he got booed. 
Um, and on top of that, you know, people were making comments like, we elected you. You're here to serve mm-hmm. us. So we will remember this when it's time for you to run for reelection. This feels like something we've seen a lot more of since the pandemic and the racial justice protest, protests of 2020. And even before that, which you reference, people are more adamant about demanding accountability and change. Do you think this incident points to a larger issue than just one person? Oh, for sure. I mean, just for starters, like, although people came to a public hearing to voice themselves, at that point, the budget is pretty much solidified. Like, the council doesn't change much of what the mayor proposes. The mayor is who gets to hear people out and who he picks that he wants to listen to. Um, but be also beyond that, like, you know, Shulman is very into doing things, the incremental change. It's, it needs to be done the proper way with politics that people may not know about. Um, And so everyone may not be playing by the same rules. And I think in recent years, we can speak to seeing both Democrats and, you know, Republicans, no matter where people fall on the political spectrum, wanting to kind of reimagine how government works and uh, wanting to have more control in that. After this blow up, the council took some action to incorporate public feedback into the budget process earlier in that process. Mm -hmm. But you point out that this wasn't exactly the sweeping change that people had demanded at the meeting. So so what happened? Yeah, what people wanted was participatory budgeting in the sense that they're involved every step of the way with the budget and they're telling the city officials, hey, this is what we want money to be spent on. What they got was a public hearing added in March this year. um, And then around you know, I think it's been two years now, participatory budgeting, the mayor's version has started, which is a relatively small pocket of money going towards uh, residents and they get to decide what projects are funded. These are really small scale and compared to what the dream is that people want. Um, And, you know, outwardly, this might look like, oh, that's very suspicious timing, but it really had been a consistent push from someone in the mayor's office before. You spoke to some council members, too, who want to take a different approach. How do they think Metro could work better for Nashville residents. Yeah, um, more meetings at times that working class people can get there, having Metro information in multiple languages. I mean, we're just now getting Spanish uh, being integrated a lot more. Uh, Council member Sandra Sepulveda has been a force that has really been pushing this and been top of mind um, and other people have been executing. So Shulman is running for re-election next year. What's his goal moving forward? Yeah, he wants to unite the city and move the city forward. Um, you know, we have a lot coming up, the new Titan Stadium, a neighborhood along the East Blank on the Cumberland. Um, so we'll be watching as Shulman be the steady force between the Metro Council and the mayor as all those ambitious plans roll out. Well, that was WPLN's Ambriel Crutchfield. You can read or listen to her full profile of Vice Mayor Jim Shulman at WPLN.org. Thank you, Ambriel. Thank you so much. We have to take a short break. When we come back, do we really make space for bicycles on Nashville streets? We're talking about getting around by bike and how to make it safer and more convenient. Are you a cycling commuter? What do you think would make the city a more welcoming place for bikes? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Nina Cardona, and this is Nashville. Anyone who lives in this town can tell you how hard it is to get around without a car. 
So imagine then how hard it is to bike. Sometimes it feels like traffic is endless and bike lanes are few and far between. Navigating the city on a bike can be dicey, which is why it's important to have a solid bike and know the rules of the road. That's a big part of the focus at Halcyon Bike Shop in 12 South. We sent our producer, Rose Gilbert, to check it out. Very squeaky. Shouldn't sound like that. It's just filthy. That's Halcyon Bike Shop owner Andrew Parker. He's doing his best to remove the rear derailleur from a blue and white street bike. But it's pretty stuck. Uh, this gentleman was actually in a bad crash. Um, fortunately, he's okay. Uh, and uh, he scraped up his bike and bent his derailleur, bent his wheel. Um, his brake is out of alignment. And uh, yeah, I'm just kind of marching forward, getting him buttoned up and back in working order. Andrew and his sister Stephanie opened Halcyon 14 years ago as of this weekend. It's a cozy space on 12th Avenue South, with pink walls, chandeliers, and sheet metal ceilings. There are dozens of bikes hanging from racks and a long wooden table that's covered in cycling magazines and sports gear. It's become something of a hub for the community, a place where cyclists meet up for group rides and get to know each other. As he keeps working on that stubborn derailleur, Andrew explains that for him, it's about a lot more than just selling and repairing bikes. They're all simple machines, uh, but at the end of the day, um, uh, our clients' lives are quite literally in our hands in this moment, and yeah, we take our jobs 100% seriously and love it for that reason. Really thankful for the trust the community kind of puts in our hands. Cyclists trust Andrew to keep their bikes safe, but safety is also about the conditions they found out on our streets. My next guests think about bike safety a lot. I'd like to introduce my guest. Daniel Caparella is a transportation planner for the Greater Nashville Regional Council, and Cedric Duncan is the director of Bike for Equality. Daniel, Cedric, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Cedric, first, when, uh, excuse me, when did you first become a cyclist? Let's see, I started riding bikes when I was very, very young, but when I came to Nashville, I was, was uh, went to Lipscomb University and I was riding around campus every once in a while. I just kind of found it easier to ride around Green Hills sometimes than just using a car, and so I started biking, and then after I graduated, I uh, started doing biking more as a hobby, and then I just started leading rides and different events like that, and so now I've just been biking through West End and downtown all the time. What is it about biking for you? It's so fun. I always tell people, I think the best part about biking is whenever you're on the bike, you kind of feel, still feel like you're a kid and you're just like riding around. And even when you're on like a two, three hour ride, you just never want to get off the bike. You're like, I can keep going. So, yeah. <laughs> you help newer cyclists learn how to navigate the city. What do you tell them about figuring out what routes are and aren't safe or smart for them on a bike? Yeah. So what I usually tell people is that when you're looking to find a, a good route, you kind of need to look for more of the back roads. So it's like you, you'll see the main roads, and but you'll look for the, the roads that will get you to the same place, but in a safer way and with less cars. So if you're going down Charlotte, instead of taking Charlotte all the way down to maybe Capital View, you'll take a side road by St. Thomas where there's less cars, but it'll still get you to Capital View. How about the things that are in the cyclist control? Like what do you teach them about how 
to bike safely on the road. Yeah, to bike safely on the road, you always use your hand signals definitely to let people know where you're going. And you, so a lot of people have uh, the the rear the rear uh, mirrors on their either helmet or on their um, their handlebars, and so there's different ways like that. Or even especially when you're biking at night, to always have like either lights on or have your safety vests and different things like that. And Daniel, you are an avid cyclist. What's the appeal for you? So I'm a Nashville native, and I started biking when. I think I was either three or four. So it's always been something that was important to me and important to my family. Um, and I think I was, I moved back to Nashville after going to school in Los Angeles and then uh, started biking here without a car. Um, I ended up buying a car, but for for me, it's just, it's been kind of freeing. I can sort of tune out when, I, when I'm biking, um, whether I'm biking for commuting purposes or just biking for recreational use. Not so long ago, there was no such thing as a bike lane in Nashville. And and some cycling infrastructure is certainly being added now, but where do things really stand at the moment? I think Nashville has made a lot of significant strides. I think our Greenway network is pretty substantial. And I think it's in a lot of different neighborhoods, so residents have access to go for recreational rides. But I think uh, what we're missing is really the connectivity of the network. Um, depending on which neighborhood you live in, you likely have to take a pike, so Nolensville Pike, Gallatin Pike, Dickerson Pike, um, to get out of your neighborhood and get where you're going. And those are usually pretty dangerous roadways for cyclists. Um, and I think uh, that's really where where we need to collaborate with, with local governments and state governments and um, try and improve those areas from a safety standpoint. So what I hear you saying is it's it's one thing to go out and just have a nice bike ride for fun, but if you if you want to commute, this is a this is a bigger challenge here for sure. Right. Um, where does that put us compared to other cities in the region? Um, I think in some ways Nashville is a leader. Um, I think the dense urban environment makes it a little bit easier to make improvements just because the trips are shorter, um, and I think. The greenway system, again, is is really, really substantial, but you may not always be able to get there. And I think there are other cities in our region who are making also making some significant strides. I think of City of Franklin, City of Mount Juliet, City of Gallatin. They've all prioritized bicycling infrastructure and walking infrastructure and have built a pretty nice network of sidewalks and bike lanes and greenways. Um, and I think that's that's sometimes even more impressive, and I think some of the suburban, more suburban-like areas in Nashville can learn from those cities just because the trips are longer and it may may be a different planning effort to try and build infrastructure there. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about making Nashville a safer place for people on bicycles. Tweet us about your experiences biking around our city at This Is Nashville. So, when we are thinking about how things could be better for bikes in Nashville, Daniel, is there another city that you consider a model that Nashville could look to? Yeah, I think uh, sort of the first city that comes to mind for me, um, I, I think outside of Tennessee, uh, is Minneapolis. Minneapolis has always been sort of a center for biking, and even those who live outside of the city and some of the suburbs can bike in using a greenway and be completely separated from cars. Um, and I think that's sort of the model that we should look at um, separating bicyclists from cars and especially on the pikes so that people aren't at risk of getting into a crash. 
What plans are in place right now for improving Nashville cycling infrastructure? So um, I think there are a few things that, that Nashville has done specifically. So Nashville has a Vision Zero plan in place. Um, but I think there are other regional connections, for, at least from a, from a regional perspective, that we should be thinking about. We, uh, GNRC has a um, regional transportation plan, which is a long-term plan, and a transportation improvement program. Our job is to distribute federal funds to the local governments, including Nashville. Um, and I think with the importance placed on uh, walking and biking from the new bipartisan infrastructure law, we have a really great opportunity to coordinate with our local governments and the state government to uh, capitalize on those on those opportunities. So, Cedric, you, you, you know, you work a lot with people who are they're out there on the streets trying to get to work every day, <laughs> not just going out for that fun bike ride. What are the frustrations that you're hearing from them? Like, this is what we really need. Why, why don't we have this? Yeah. So a lot of the frustrations I hear from a lot of have to do with um, even just the public transit. So it, when it comes to the busings, it's a lot of people always think that, oh, I'm just going to bike everywhere to work or, or to uh to you going to like a party or an event, but that's not always how it is. A lot of times people will bike to a bus stop or bike to somewhere else to mm -hmm. get on the bus and then take it to another stop, get off the bus, ride to their location. And so even just having better bus systems and to get you from one place to another makes everything a whole lot easier. So that is a big deal for a lot of people. What's on your wish list for making Nashville a more bike-friendly city? Oh, that's a dangerous thing to ask. My, <laughs> my wish list... I think it would honestly have to be the having a really good public transit system because it would make biking just so much easier for people. Because then if I had to, if I say I lived in South Nashville, like, or if I lived in Green Hills, then I could just bike up to a certain area. I could get on, we'll say an above ground trolley system and I get on uh, the trolley and I can put my bike on the back. It can take me all the way, we'll say, to a certain area in Donaldson, and then I can get off, ride to my friend's house that lives in Donaldson, and then when I need to go back, I can just do the same thing back the other way. So Sounds a perfect like a dream. Oh, it, it's the dream. <laughs> it's absolutely the dream. Nash Bike Fun tweeted us at This Is Nashville. They said, I believe in bike rider slash car driver language. So making Nashville better for bark bike riders looks different than making Nashville better for bikes. Better for bikes is more safe bike parking, separate routes. Better for bike riders, removing car drivers. <laughs> Cedric, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, removing car drivers. Very, very accurate. It's just, I feel like one of the hardest parts about biking in Nashville is the tourists, mm. is that you have a lot of people that come to the city that are driving around that don't know where they're going. They don't know everything. They don't know how to, some of the, a lot of them don't know how to use a roundabout. And so I've almost gotten clipped and hit a couple of times through a roundabout and it's different things with infrastructure like that, that makes things difficult, but with tourists, especially it can be harder, but even just, uh, the amount of people and the amount of cars in Nashville, um, it just makes things very difficult. And so very much agree. Daniel, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll, I'll agree with Cedric. It's, it's terrifying biking in Nashville. Mm -hmm. I think it, it depends on what kind of trip you're doing, but if you're biking across the city from neighborhood to neighborhood, it's it's scary. I mean, I, I've been almost hit more times than I can count. Um, but I think uh, I think a he's right. A, a transit system and transit improvements are really really important. Considering how sprawled our city is, you're never going to be able to bike from one part of the county to the next every day for simple trips like going to the grocery store or commuting to work or 
those kinds of things. So what do you see as complications or hurdles in the way of making kind of positive changes happen? I think that, that we could do a better job coordinating between the different agencies that are responsible for implementing um, the biking infrastructure that we see on the ground. And I also think that uh, our city and our region uh, is pretty heavily reliant on federal funding. Um, and so getting more local funding sources uh, to fund some of the smaller improvements like an intersection improvement or a new crosswalk um, is is really important in sort of solving the the, the short-term solutions rather than building a new roadway. We got a tweet from a listener who goes by Tinge of Ben J. He says, before the pandemic, I did a lot of bike commuting. Since things started opening back up, it feels like drivers have become more aggressive to cyclists. Wonder if there's any data to support that. Do you, do you have any insight there? Um, well, we've definitely seen a pretty significant increase in, uh, in non-motorized crashes, more specifically pedestrian crashes. Um, since the pandemic, and uh, I, I can't say exactly what um, what is causing that, but some some theories we have are people are speeding more, um, but also that traffic has been uh, distributed differently throughout the day. Not everyone is doing that morning and evening commute. Um, but I also just think that in general, I've I've seen from a personal standpoint that. Drivers are more angry <laughs> yeah. and are more more willing to do to behave in more risky ways. Cedric, do you have any advice for car drivers on how they can be better at sharing the road with bicyclists? My advice for car drivers first first advice would be try biking <laughs> once in a while, and it will change your perspective. Just ultimately like just try it once just uh, become one of us become one of us yeah <laughs> just give me a shout and i'll help you but i would say if i was to tell uh car drivers to just watch out and be considerate and if, even if somebody is out there on the road and they are even sharing a lane with you just take your time don't just stall behind someone and wait for them to like make a turn um you should wait for when a car passes to go around them but go around don't go around them too fast just Take your time, move around them, but just be careful. Um, be just uh, at driving in general. Just always be aware of bikers, and they're not a nuisance. They're just trying to get somewhere, just like you are. So, well, you said you want them to be one of you guys to, to try on a bike. I do. If someone is thinking about maybe starting to try to get around Nashville on a bike, why should they just go ahead and do it? They should go ahead and do it mainly because I think getting around the city is a lot easier than people think on a bike, though it is sometimes dangerous, it is a lot easier than people think. And so when I take people on bike rides, one time we uh, we went on a night ride and we were going over Korean Be Veterans Bridge and some of the people that were with us who were not really experienced riders and they're like, oh, there's no way we can do that. There's a lot of people. But when you go over in a group and you kind of see and do it for the first time, you're actually like, this actually really isn't that bad. You just kind of have to do it one time and then you're kind of uh, in the zone and you're like, oh, I can bike certain places. And like you start finding out there are safe for places to bike. There are not so safe places to bike. And so you can get from one place to the other in a very safe fashion. You just have to like give it a shot and be do do the safety, the necessary safety precautions in the way. So. You mentioned a group. Is that, and either one of you can answer. I mean, is that like something that people ought to be thinking about starting out? Group rides are awesome. Cedric does them all the time. I've done them with him. It's for especially for a beginner cyclist. I think it's a perfect way to start out because you really do feel so much safer when you're in a group. 
much, much safer. So yeah, me and Daniel do bike rides every once in a while and you just go and it's it's a good time. And you the the best thing is that the bike community here in Nashville is really amazing. And they're really everyone is so nice and everyone just wants to get out and ride. And everyone knows the heartaches of riding in Nashville and the troubles and the difficulties. And so when you have that community around you, you can know the certain areas that you can ride and it's so fun. So it's a good time. So how can fi- folks find a group then? Or where do you go looking? To, to find out what groups well, are Well, you around. can go to Cedric's Bike for Equality Instagram page. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, is there something about Instagram that has like magically become the way that a lot of bikers find out of uh, ways to uh, find different rides? But Bike for Equality uh, on Instagram, then you have uh, Walk Bike Nashville shares a lot of these rides, but a lot of those... Uh, a lot of the Instagram sites, but Bike for Equality, Walk Bike Nashville, Music City Dope Peddlers, uh, Black Girls Do Bike, uh, all these Instagram sites, they, like, we all share all these rides. So if you follow, like, two two of the accounts, you'll see, like, 10, 20 rides. So that's the best way to find rides. And best way to find shops like Halcyon or Green Fleet or East uh, or Shelby Bicycle, best way to do all those things is to, honestly, Instagram is probably the best resource. And these rides are all, for all ages and abilities and are very welcoming, I would say. Well, that's Cedric Duncan with Bike for Equality and Daniel Caparella from the Greater Nashville Regional Council. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right, let's keep the theme going with a little bit of music. Here's the song, Bicycle, Bicycle, You Are My Bicycle, from the Nashville band, Be Your Own Pet. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk to folks who help put kids on two wheels safely. Were some of your best childhood memories made on a bicycle? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Nina Cardona, and this is Nashville. Is there any image of childhood independence more quintessential than a kid on a bike? When Elliot needs to save E.T., he throws him in the bike basket and they ride as fast as they can. Bikes allow kids to venture past their own streets and begin to explore a bigger world. I'd like to welcome some folks who are helping Nashville youth find that independence by putting them on bikes and teaching them how to be safe cyclists. Dan Furbish founded the Oasis Bike Workshop, and Kathy Carrillo is the Education and Engagement Manager for Walk Bike Nashville. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Kathy, what does a child in Nashville gain from having a bike to ride? Um, I think there's joy is the very first thing. I think whenever we get to see kids ride bikes for the first time or start learning or even parts of a bike, um, it becomes this instant just smile because they know that that joy and learning also becomes freedom and independence. And as a parent, that can be one of the scariest, but also one of the most amazing things to see in a kid is um, them, they gaining, how they're gaining their independence and freedom um, and how they're growing to be safe for themselves and rely on themselves and listen to their own body and how it moves. Well, like you say, it can be very nerve wracking for a parent to let their child roam (laughs) out of their sight. How does your group help kids be safe on their bikes? 
Yeah, so uh, it's really part of our bigger program. It's called Safe Routes to School. And um, for us, because we're an advocacy organization, we focus on uh, pedestrian and cyclist safety. Um, and we know that that starts at a very young age. And so we get to do bike rodeos and we get to do um, bike workshops with kids at uh, all across MNPS schools. We have focus schools that we work with every year. So we really get to focus on the marginalized um, and oftentimes ignored communities. And where these kids go to schools, we get to bring bikes straight to them, um, teach them what it's like to maintenance the bikes, what it's like to um, start to learn how to ride a bike. And we spend a whole week with them. And then at the end of that week, we set up uh, an example of what the city looks like, what it's like to pay attention to pedestrians, what it's like to watch out for cars and what it's like to use the roads that exist, especially if there are no bike lanes, to make sure that they're cycling safety. So we start that education early to kind of ingrain in their minds. And while we know a lot of kids, we don't see a lot of kids on our streets biking right now, um, we want it to be in their brain that they have a right to be out in the streets, especially in bikes. And so for us, it's just really a stepping stone so that they can then access more services at an elementary school level. Um, and that's where amazing people like Dan come in at the middle school and then Cedric at the high school and um, adult level. And we get to keep work with adults too. So we are the foundation. We really get to work with them, start that love for bicycling, uh, for cycling, and then have them build on with other partners in the community. Well, and I think it's important to note I mean, the, the name of the program. It's, it's referencing school right there. This isn't just about roaming the neighborhood and having a good time, right? No, it's about how they can get to school safely. What are the other ways other than having to get into a car um, or having to wait for a school bus that they can get to school safely? And um, yeah, that's our goal with the Safe Routes to School program. Well, of course, before you can be a safe cyclist, you have to have a bike. Dan, what does the Oasis workshop do for kids who may not be able to afford one? So uh, we work with middle school and high school uh, aged uh, teens throughout the city, mostly through metro schools, and uh, basically do an eight-week program with them that we've been doing for almost 14 years and teach them how to take a donated bike, strip the whole thing down to the frame, fully rebuild it and customize it, and just learn all the all the working parts and how to maintain it. So the hope is that it's going to last longer and they're going to have a lot of pride in this thing that they got to kind of piece back together and create. So, How did your program get started? Uh, it originally started summer 2009 as what was meant to be a one-off experimental summer camp. Um, we thought we could get some bikes donated. Uh, it was for 10 kids, so we just put out the word in the community to get to, to donate some bikes, and we ended up getting, I think, 100 bikes donated one day. <laughs> so we worked with these 10 kids through the summer and um, partnered with uh, our pals over at Halcyon Bike Shop to kind of design this curriculum, um, got some volunteers, and, uh, yeah, just kind of coached them through learning how to rebuild and maintain these bikes. So, What caught your attention that made you think this is, this is something I want to do? This originally started as uh, actually just having some conversations with some middle school students in East Nashville who lived close to Shelby Park. And uh, we went over there for a service learning project. Um, and I was asking them how often they went there. Um, and they said basically never. And they lived about a mile away from the park. And mm. I said, if you had a bike, would you come here more often? And they said, absolutely. So that was kind of the inspiration for that, that summer bike camp. But yeah, just trying to get as many bikes to as many kids as possible. But, you know, not just giving them the bike, but teaching them how to maintain it. So. Well, and that's, you know, that's the thing. You're also teaching them really practical and hands-on skills. How do they respond to that? Uh, they are going to get frustrated somewhere through the process. Uh, right. It's kind of how our program is built, but it's it's really about them learning how to problem solve with their hands. And a lot of that, um, we work with a lot of STEM teachers in Metro schools. Uh, they, they can use our program through their science, math, engineering classes, 
kind of use our program to help enhance those problems, hands-on problem-solving skills. So, and, and and you know, you guys with your program with the younger kids, you're also teaching them a little bit of maintenance as well. When when they first get something to fixed themselves what is the experience what is the look you see on their faces what are they saying it's like a light bulb comes on they they get really happy they're like oh it's like yes and um one of the very first things we talk about is like the abc quick check right and so it's like um air brakes chains and then um whether or not you're um whether or not your bike is moving, right? Like whether everything is like all the gears, all the things are functioning together. Um, and so for us, it's just like, just that very basic thing gives them an opportunity to just be like, this is how this all works, right? It's like, yes, it's a, it's a machine, right? And the way that Dan said, um, it's really cool to watch them just have like a moment where it is frustrating where they're like, well, mine, mine's not moving or this isn't working. And it's like, well, let's stop. Let's problem solve. Let's think about it. Um, and it lets them put it together. You just let them fiddle with it, let them handle with it. And again, it's kind of that part of like allowing children and kids to come into their own and think about like, okay, what comes next? Right. And we also see that when we're teaching the curriculum too, right? Like what it, what it means when you break hard, sometimes you learn, right. Um, what it means to start without pedals and then put one pedal on and then put the other pedal on, um, and see like, okay, this is all connecting. I'm putting my body movements together. Um, yeah, it's it's really cool. <laughs> it seems like you're making little engineers as well yeah. as bikers, right? Yeah, yeah, and we and we want them to think about it in that way too, because um, then in that sense they can tell us what their experience is um, when it comes to like how we can advocate for them, right? Like when it comes to like how we can say this is important, this is joyful, this means a lot, this means science, this means um, problem solving, this means independence. And that's why we're going to push for it. Or that's why we're going to make sure that there are not just like green spaces or um, called sacks where they can go ride their bikes, but hardened protected bike lanes where these kids can then go practice their real life skills out in the city alongside their parents who are also adults who need to learn how to ride bikes too. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville. And I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ecolona. We're talking with folks who are passionate about helping kids safely ride the streets of Nashville on bicycles. Now, Kathy, I understand that you grew up here spending a lot of time on your bike. What does likely mean to you as a kid? Oh, I think it was one way in which I got to connect to my dad. Him buying me my first bike meant so much to him because mm. he never got to have a bike. Oh, wow. And so for me... Um, you know, obviously as he got older, when he was, he didn't get to have a bike when he was younger, as he got older, he got a bike into his adulthood. Cause in Peru, you have to either cycle or, or you have to ride to um, public transit or you walk everywhere. And then he got into motorcycles. And so for him to see his children be able to have that opportunity of riding a bike, not just for necessity, but for leisure and to enjoy themselves, um, both that joy and like that necessary skill. Um, it was a way for us to connect. Um, and what was actually really funny is I didn't know until my adulthood that my mom didn't know how to ride a bike. And so for my mom, for me to be like, wow, I know how to ride a bike, but my mom doesn't know how to ride a bike. To me, cycling is a way to connect to your family members. And it's also a way for you to connect to your community members. I met so many people just from getting into bike riding and um, getting to know people. Um, and it, it is a beautiful way in which you get to connect and explore Nashville and actually enjoy everything that Nashville has to offer without having to rely or being stuck in traffic um, or <laughs> having to wait on a bus or anything like that. 
Um, and even as it gets colder, it's a way to still connect to people and really build a community around yourself. And that's what kids need nowadays, especially as we're coming out of a pandemic, we're having to rebuild our communities and cycling is one of the ways that we can do that. Dan, what are you hearing from kids in your program? I mean, what changes for them once they have a bike in hand? Yeah. So once they have a bike there, all of our programs always end with a ride from their school. So it's not necessarily, you know, from their house to their school, here's how to get there safely. But we try and hit up the closest greenway or park and teach them the rules of the road. Um, And uh, really just we want them to feel safe biking around town and like they have the confidence to do so. Kathy, what changes have you seen in the environment here for a child who's taken their bike out for a ride? I think we've seen a lot of, I mean, I think that there's a lot of improvements that are happening in Nashville. Um, I think the issue is that um, for a really long time, the focus has been on places like downtown. The focus has been on places where sidewalks already exist or the space for bike lanes already exist. And so you have beautiful spaces like the Greenways or like East Nashville or like some places downtown where parents can feel like they are they have a safe enough environment to have their kids bike with them or they can let their kids go bike for a little bit away in front of them. But then you have the most marginalized areas that don't have that. We may have lines on uh, a street or those don't lead anywhere. They oftentimes turn into having to share a lane with a car. And so if you're a child and even with if you're with your parent and you have cars that are driving 40 miles an hour, that in a car, it can seem really slow. But if you're out there on the street, whether you're walking or whether you're riding a bike, that's really fast. And so I think um, I've seen a lot of changes as a Nashville native in Nashville, but I'm not ready to say, oh, this is great. We're moving in a great direction. I'm ready to say, this is where this is missing. This is where that is missing. And if we're not ready to step up to fill those in, then as communities, we have to find solutions to make it safer. And part of that is working towards solutions like creating more family-based bike rides where adults and kids can go along, not just on greenways, but on streets. Like what are the ways that we're making each other feel safe while we wait for the improvements to happen. The money is there. Um, We're going to keep pushing for the money to be given towards infrastructure. Um, But we also have to figure out how to do it on our own. And and that means, yeah, rebuilding communities. Well, I mean, and, you know, there is that contrast between the streets that maybe people need the most and the greenways. While those changes are still in the future at this point, then, then what role do the greenways effectively play? They play such a big role. I think um, it, it is important for us to recognize that greenways, while they're through our, the most amazing, beautiful green spaces, they're also ways of people getting from point A to point B. They're roads of transportation, whether you're walking, whether you're cycling, um, whether you're riding an e-bike or, um, you know, any any other type of um uh, roller skates. I love seeing the roller skaters out there in the greenways as well. I think that it, there are ways for people to get to places safely. And in places, um, in other states, we see how greenways connect to larger locations. And I think that that would be the dream for everybody is to be able to get to work, to commute through a wonderful green space. And I think that that's what we should be aiming for is connecting these routes, figuring out how we can make these already existing routes um, accessible to everyone to so that people can use them for transportation, for getting to school um, and getting back out there. And also n- noting that in some communities, while bike lanes are beautiful and wonderful and what's needed, um, 
that's not what community needs right at this moment. Maybe that they just need a sidewalk, right? So while we need to be able to listen to people um, and really be out there in the community, not just take the data or the numbers, but actually be out in the community, talking to people, walking the streets, riding the streets and figuring out, okay, is this a bike lane? Is this access to a greenway? Is this another bus stop? Um, or is this more sidewalks? Like, what is it that people need? Um, because the more we listen to kids, the kids will tell you. They'll be like, yeah, I would love to ride to the um, ice cream shop. <laughs> or I would really like to be able to go to the library. Or I would really like to go to the Walmart or whatever. Like, they will say themselves. And we have to start letting other people have input in these spaces. It has to be that. And especially kids. It has to be kids as well. Um, or else we're just going to keep hearing the same voices and... I'm ready to move out of downtown. <laughs> I'm ready to for more spaces outside of downtown. You both work with marginalized communities. How much of a barrier is to biking is affordability? Yeah, um, I mean, cycling is a fairly cost prohibitive sport for a lot of people. Um, it is an expensive sport. So uh, you, you can go to Walmart or Target and buy a $100 bicycle, which is probably going to fall apart in a month. Um, what we're trying to do in schools is is give them kind of higher end donated bikes and give them the the know how to keep this bike rolling. Do you see a disparity in biking infrastructure between neighborhoods? For sure. Um, so uh, we're part of the Oasis Center, which is located in North Nashville, right off Charlotte, um, kind of in the Fisk Meharry area. Um, we did not have a solid cycling infrastructure there until recently. Um, this is around kind of the Marathon Village area. Um, so what we were part of, uh, back in February, 2021, we opened the Watkins pump track, which is in, um, Watkins park. And, uh, it's basically, uh, a skate park that is for bicycles. So it's kind of this bastion of safe riding where kids can go enjoy themselves and, and, and have fun and be safe. So you mentioned the, the, the pump track and there's also now a mountain biking team. Yeah. Why are those important? Um, I think, uh, we're all about inclusivity. Um, we want everyone to be able to experience the joys of cycling, no matter where they are, all parts of Nashville. Um, so that was kind of the inspiration for the the pump track. Um, and the mountain biking team was started from a group of kids who were working with uh, at what was formerly Cameron Middle School, um, kids from uh, mostly Kurdish and uh, Egyptian immigrants um, came and built bikes in our program, learned how to build mountain bikes. Once they were done, they said, hey, we want to learn how to race these bikes on dirt trails. And so we started the mountain bike team about eight years ago. And so we compete in the Tennessee high school and middle school uh, mountain bike league against a bunch of other teams and take them all over the state to races. Last question. I'm going to ask you something I asked of one of our guests in the last segment, too. What is on your wish list for making Nashville more bike friendly? Ooh, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'll echo Cedric. It's a dangerous question. But um, I think for me on my wish list is hardened bike lanes. Um, on my wish list is... And just so for somebody who doesn't know, hardened yeah, bike lanes, what does that mean? Like absolutely protected, whether there's a median or whether there's like an absolute stop, like, like you can't reach. Like a physical stop. Yeah, like a physical boundary. 
um, where you can't reach. And I think people oftentimes who look at it, like we'll see those pegs, but some of us have seen like the, those white pegs that sticking up out of the ground, like you can just like push those over. Right. So um, we're talking about median, we're talking about completely protected, um, separated spaces for both pedestrians and cyclists. That's, that's, my dream for people to truly be able to move around the city in a way that feels absolutely completely safe. And for my biggest piece of my wish list, I think is going to be um, that this local government invest the money that is needed into infrastructure for solutions around the city. Like I'm, that is my goal. That is my wish. I think um, we're all ready to see money be invested in our people and our communities in in solutions that's what we're ready to see um and then of course like beautiful scenery as well like i think that that's like the quality of life right is like it's not just having these routes it's having the ability to have trees benches shelters um quick stations like quick fix stations around the city where if you have a flat or if you have to do something really quick you have the ability to get there um, yeah, those are, those are my wish list. Dan, yeah. what are yours? Well, we are oh no, just right out of time, no I'm problem. afraid. <laughs> Thank you both for joining Thank us, you. though. Dan Furbish founded the Oasis Bike Workshop. Kathy Carrillo <laughs> is the Education Engagement Manager for Walk Bike Nashville. I'm sure if you run into either of them, they will tell you all about their dream for a more bike-friendly Nashville. Thank you guys so much for joining Thank us. You. All right, it's Friday. That's when our regular host, Khalil Ekelona, gets out of the studio to ride shotgun with a fellow Middle Tennessean. Today, there's a twist. Instead of sitting in a car, you guessed it, Khalil is riding a bike with the Music City Dope Peddlers. Last Friday night, Khalil met up with the group's founder, Nate McDowell, and the rest of the crew at the local distro in Germantown for the ride. It's been a while since Khalil has been on a bike. He won't forget how to ride, right? Yo, yo, yo! What up, everybody? Happy Friday. Okay, so we are about to roll out. How long of a route we going? About eight miles, probably about seven, eight miles. Cool. Yeah. My name is Nate McDowell, AKA Nate the Great, and I am the founder and route leader for Music City Dope Pedals. We started doing this um, July of 2021. So it's been about a year and some change. All right. Like every time there was a bike event, a common thread people were saying was like, yo, we need something to, uh, we need a bike group. Like why, is there any bike crews around? And I'm like, yeah, people ride all the time. I wanted to do something every week. You know, you didn't have to think about it. Same place, same time, and just show up and be there when you can. How was turnout when you first started? Oh, uh, it was like three of us. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was three. It was me, Ashley, and Antonio. Man, Antonio, you remember that first ride? I took a spill and couldn't ride my bike back. It was just, it was all bad. <laughs> but we kept going, we kept pursuing, persevering. Yeah. Um, and because we all kind of know people in the bike culture, once we start posting the rides, word of mouth just got out. And um, you know, now we average about 18, 20 people on a ride. I didn't count today, I think we got maybe 16 a day. Okay. I've learned so much about the city just like biking around. Uh, I mean, the Nashville is pretty bikeable. It's not the best, but you could get anywhere on a bike uh, if you're bold enough, especially. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. 
I work in IT right now. Uh, that's my day job. But I'm also the sousaphone player for Brasville. I don't know if people are familiar with that brass band around Nashville. Um, and I like gardening. <laughs> Biking, gardening, brass band, IT. That's some. That sums me up. You know, it was funny trying to juggle all this because, like, easily, you know, I'll get off from work, go on a bike ride, and then have a brass wheel show right after the bike ride. Like, that's not an uncommon thing. <laughs> people people in the group will tell you, it's like, yeah, they'll know when I have a show because I'm, like, booking it. Yeah. And then we get back, and I'm, like, pulling clothes out the car. They're like, where you going? I was like, ah, we got a show tonight. <laughs> that's, that's not bad for your win, though, being a brass player. Oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> do you do the whole circular breathing? Man, when I was like a music major, like when I was like really, really into it, I would, I would play around with that. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not circular breathing now. I need to get back into it though. It's really hard on the tuba though. See, the thing is, it's been a long time since I've been on the bike. I forget when you switch up gears. We need it to be a little easier to go to a lower gear. If you feel like you don't have enough resistance, uh, go to a higher gear. You'll Bam. go faster. There you go. The lesson right there. Just peaceful and meditative. Yeah. We, what do you think of Nashville's bike culture as it's grown? I think it's supportive. They have a lot to offer. Because you got people that, like these guys, they love to race. Um, you got people who just use bikes to commute and they use it for like business and they're really adamant about bike lanes and getting, you know, bike infrastructure. And then you got people that just wanna kick it and do something different, just a different form of activity and recreation. And it's more of a social thing for them. Yeah. Positive and healthy way to unwind with some friends. And then after that, you know, then decide how many shots you need. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get a bike and join y'all. See, that was the whole goal, man. <laughs> yeah, this is dope. That's the goal. If, if I if I want to like reel someone into the biking world, I'll take them on this greenway. <laughs> After you do this, you're gonna be like, okay, okay, I get it now. <laughs> mm -hmm. I get it. I'm Kamar Small. Joshua Ibarri. Antonio Brown. Tad Morgan. Victoria Morgan. Gord Sizovac. Henry Chaney. Andrea Barber. Katie Carella. Krista Whitney. Ashley Simpson. Veldez. And Jackie. But she went home before we finished. Shout out to our regular host, Khalil Ekulona, for braving it out there with the Music City Dope Peddlers. Khalil will be back Monday, so tune in. We want to thank everyone who joined us this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche and Rose Gilbert. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona. We'll see you Monday, everybody.